to the Flex Success Podcast, where we teach you how to be less shit. Covering all things science relating to nutrition, training, recovery, and more. Who knows, we might even sprinkle in a dick joke or two. (laughs) We are going to share with you a very special podcast today. Um, But before we spill the beans on what it is, Quick personal update. Where the bloody hell are you? In Romania. In Romania. Mm. Romania. We're in Bucharest, the capital of Romania. Uh, by the time this episode gets released, oh, which is only two days from now, we would have been here exactly one week. Mm. Um, we haven't adventurized, it's a word, shut up. We haven't adventurized too much because we've been working a lot, but we did do a walking tour on, when was it, Wednesday afternoon or something yep, like that? Wednesday. It was about the political history of Romania, and it is fascinating, Mm. absolutely fascinating. And gosh, I've traveled quite a bit of Europe, so I've obviously seen my fair share of communist buildings. But Romania is such an interesting mix of like super modern buildings, you know, like made from glass, whatever. Communist buildings, like straight up and down boxes, couldn't get more boring. Mm to these amazing, beautiful European, mainly French-inspired chapels and all sorts of buildings with these. Well, then there's a palace here. Yeah, there's, well, the phone palace, is that what you're talking about? Well, no, there's an actual palace too, but there was blocked by commie buildings because they didn't have people Because that's the other thing, there's kings, but no queens. No queens. How dare you? The patriarchy. Uh, there's prime ministers and there's presidents. At, well, not the king, but the prime, prime minister and the president exist at the same time mm. within the same administration. Yeah, and the monarchy was back in the 50s. I think yeah. the last one was 59. There was only four generations of kings and they were all German. Mm. Um, but yeah, so Romania is essentially a contrast of all of these things. Yeah, so you, visually, anyway. you walk around the city and you're like, what the fuck architectural style is this? It's just a clusterfuck, I think, is the scientific term for mm. the architectural style. But then also uh, they have their own language, which is Latin-based. Yeah. With French influence, because they say mercy instead of thank you all the time. And a fair amount of Turkish influence too, because the Ottoman Empire influence. Yeah. Um, including a statue of they're surrounded by slavic languages so they also have that influence so i don't know what the fuck is going on i don't hate it but it's eclectic yeah it's slavic latin with some turkish influence on some words that we've noticed and foods yeah because it was interesting it is a very interesting place and um bucharest itself is great but there's lots of other little towns that we want to see so we're going to hire a car there's you a, mean adventurized we are going to adventurize to little towns hmm. and it's only a one hour road trip so we'll be doing a fair bit of that transylvania however is four hours we've seen on youtube the the bran castle i think is supposed to be like bran like all bran right <laughs> okay <laughs> why that's so funny um so we're gonna go there but i've seen the Bran Castle mm. on YouTube, and it seems to be oh, kind of like Thailand. Or the authenticity seems ruined by the tourism. Like they've yeah. put all of these digital screens with um, like vampires on the screens and stuff inside the castle. Yeah, like I reckon I could scare you more by just popping around the corner in our own apartment while it's quiet <laughs> than what this will. <laughs> it's it's quite lame. I feel like it's set up for children. I'm interested to see it. Uh, just for the same reasons as why we went to the Queen's funeral thing, because it just seems like such an iconic thing to do. 
What? But also not, because I think they said old Count Dracula really only stayed there for a very small portion. Yeah, he's not and actually from there. Yeah, it's and just, they're just like, hey, this is his castle, guys. Yeah, yeah. it's just known for that. Yeah. Whereas at least that epic castle in Germany is based is where that Disney uh, is based upon. I can't remember which castle it is, but there's one that's actually legitimately based on the, the, the real castle. Don't remember which one you're talking about. Yeah, no, cool story. But uh, next time we give you guys a personal update at the beginning of a podcast episode, we would have experienced more in Romania. So we will have more to share. Although we just shared a lot. I think that may have sparked some interest in Romania for people. Okay. Oh, an amazing internet. Let's oh, just say that. Best internet in the world, I think, isn't it? 500 plus megabytes download per second, uh-huh. 500 megabytes upload per second. Which apparently is a lot, everyone. It is 10 times the speed of Australia at a tenth, quite literally a tenth of the price. Wasn't it nine euros a month or something? Yeah, 30 lay. Yeah, crazy, crazy. Mental. But anyway, Liz, what's the treat today? The treat. After all that. The treat is, look, under your chair, I've left you something. <laughs> Uh, no, the treat is we are going to replay one of our favorite episodes that we recorded. I think it was back in 2019 with coach Eugene Teo. And it was difficult to write an episode description because we covered so much, um, mostly fitness related, but, you know, some other interesting things sprinkled throughout. And um, we are pumped to share it with you now. Mm, are you pumped, it. Dean? Show, show how pumped you are. <laughs> For those on YouTube, he's done the <laughs> Terry tip dance. <laughs> Terry. Oh, Terry. Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Terry tip dance. Highly recommend watching that shit. All right, guys. Enjoy the episode. We'll see you in the next one. Peace. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome to those that are watching on YouTube, those that are listening on the podcast. For those that are on YouTube, this one looks a little bit different to the other ones because we're actually checking in with Eugene Teo today on Skype instead of Zoom. So <laughs> hopefully this all goes well. Uh, welcome to the podcast, mate. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. A big honor to be here. Usually we um, have a long list of questions to keep conversation going with our guests, um, right. but you're such a fucking ray of sunshine and bag of rainbows <laughs> that I don't think it's necessary for you. Of course we have some backup questions, but I feel as though that you're such a chatterbox that we'll just go down some rabbit holes and we'll have a great time. I hope so. Otherwise it's going to be really fucking awkward if we just stare at each other. <laughs> we could try you know, that's the eye gazing is a real thing where like you you pay to go to these courses not in lockdown periods obviously and you just sit there you pay good money to stare at a stranger for 20 minutes straight Ooh. what is the outcome that uh, you know tim ferris talked about it once or twice i think he even has a video of him just staring to the camera for like like this i'm uncomfortable already it's yeah it's about breaking down those barriers and connection and like I fucking I don't really know. Like Ooh. maybe some new first base with this whole <laughs> down stuff. Probably true. You know, I wonder if there'd be uh, an association. Liz, uh, her background is in uh, I was going to say anthropometry, which it's not completely different. It's anthropology <laughs> and social science, and there being a relationship between the amount of people per capita or per square meter, and then uh, the social distance that's considered personal space. Am I butchering this? You you are, but that's cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> basically you know uh you know let's say chinese populations that they're, they're very dense mm. and or, or even japanese and so there's not a lot of personal space you kind of stand shoulder to shoulder and it's not rude but then if you go out to rural communities uh they had there's far less density of population and so 
their personal space is much larger. So when you stand next to someone on the side of the road, you're going to stand much further apart. Mm. Um, so is there uh, a point to bringing this up? My point is that I wonder if the, the impact of the staring in the eyes would have varying uh, effects depending on population density. Ah, yeah, maybe. Because, like, you know, if, if you are in a heavily populated area and standing face-to-face looking at each other in the eyes is probably not that big of a deal. Unless, of course, you're looking at a Buddha, which I don't believe you're supposed to do. What do you mean? I don't, they, they don't do, there's one of, one of them, they don't do eye contact. You have to kind of, like, look to the side. Really? I don't know if it's Buddhist. I'm probably wrong again. I'm butchering that, too. Sorry. Oh, I, I, I was over in, um, in Myanmar last year and going to all the Buddhist temples. I'm not Buddhist at all, but the host was. I thought, I'm going to... When you go to these places, you do what the host do. So we went to some temples. Beautiful. But there were Buddhist statues everywhere. And I looked all of them in the eye. So, I'm fucked. No, I'm probably wrong. I'm, I'm butchered too. We're going to go three for three somewhere in oh, this podcast. Then. Cool story, Dean. Um, actually, um, so anthropology is essentially, if we boil it down, the study of culture. And just before we press record, you were saying how you love Rome um, and you love its culture. Because in Australia, we don't have a lot of culture. And you used the word culture incorrectly, Eugene, and I didn't appreciate it. So, Jeez. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> uh, we all do this in Australia. I got in trouble so often from Liz when we first started dating because I, I said the same thing. I like Sydney. It has more culture than Brisbane. She's like, oh, oh. Um, okay. Which, you were saying that you love traveling. Yes. Um, and I wanted to ask you, and because you love being immersed in the culture and, and um, doing what the locals do and getting off the beaten track. So my question to you is, if there was a cultural practice that went against your moral compass, would you just think, mm, when in Rome, what would you do? Or should we give an example, like eating whale in Japan? Yeah. yeah. If you go to Papua New Guinea and you're like, you know what, let's just start cannibalism, why not? Right? <laughs> um, where do I draw the line? Well, first you've got to define where is your own moral compass. Like, am I against cannibalism as a, as a whole? Most definitely, I'm not going to go down through and just like start eating people like zombie land. But what if they consented? Uh, hey, but beg your pardon. What if they consented to you eating them? If no one is being harmed, if it is consensual and is part of this cultural experience, I don't know if I'd go ahead and eat a person. <laughs> it's not going to be a firm no. I could probably be convinced. Okay. I could probably be convinced. So like eating well in Japan. I, I'm not sure if I ended up eating well in Japan, but my first night there, I was on my own. I had um, no concept of the language. But again, I look Asian, so I think, oh, this guy's Asian. He must know, he must know the language. So they start giving me all this food uh, in the sushi joint. And I'm pretty sure that one of these bits and pieces, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't tuna, it wasn't kingfish, it wasn't salmon. I'm convinced it was whale, but I don't know. I don't know. It had a weird dark a, a weird color to it. It was strange. Um... But look, I'm not, I, I wouldn't be against doing that if it was part of a, a thing in the culture. Although, am I using the word culture correct in this context now? Now I'm confused. I'm you are. So, so we, we can use the word culture in the context of like belief systems and customs and traditions. Ah. Uh, yeah, that's right. Thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so when Dean says Sydney has no culture, I was like, okay, dude. Yeah, they have I... no belief systems and customs <laughs> and traditions. <laughs> What I meant was, is they have old buildings, and <laughs> Brisbane doesn't. <laughs> History. <laughs> History, okay. the way to put it. Yeah, that is History and heritage, I think, is probably <laughs> yeah. the thing. But if you, if you had to be a cannibal, what muscle would you would you uh, dive into first? 
Okay. Um, apparently, the tastiest part. So, the, like, when you eat a chicken, what do you like the most out of chicken? Breast. Do you like, do you like, do you like wing? I prefer breast, yeah. Breast is best. Okay, well, I'm just going to look weird to you. I like chicken wings. Like, not for the macros, just for the crunch, the flavor, the texture. Delicious. So, apparently, according to a friend, um, the hand is very similar to chicken wings. Really? Yeah. And you know, it makes a lot of sense. If you compare that to a chicken wing, it's got the same kind of texture to it. It's got that, that, that drier kind of flesh, but a lot of skin and, you know, not much fat, but the skin, the, the, the skin to, to meat ratio is very favorable there for giving you some really crispy, chewy meat. Ooh, you'd be gnawing on a hand. Very interesting. <laughs> what an experience that would be to hold um, an entire human hand. I'm so glad the conversation went here. <laughs> Normally, yeah. I can blame myself, though. I did. I did. <laughs> um, now, Eugene, I, I think everybody knows you because, like, you're the master of uh, the industry. Is that is that a cool title? But for those of you that are unfamiliar with the almighty Eugene Teo, can you just explain... Who you are, what you do, and why you do it. Way to stroke my ego after cutting me down. Like, <laughs> I feel for you, man. This must be rough living with her because, like, my just putting you up and then back down. I go, oh, I feel good about myself, then slap you straight down. You got <laughs> back in your corner, drinking coffee. You've summed up our relationship nicely. <laughs> <laughs> Keeps you on your toes. I like it. I like it. Um, so, I am a personal trainer. Like people ask me a lot, hey, Eugene, what do you do? What, um, what are your qualifications? Et cetera, et cetera. Um, by trade, I'm a personal trainer. I have my base certificates in fitness, in training from whatever the institute was here in Australia. Um, I can't remember what it is, but let's, let's not plug them anyway. We don't care about them. Um, and I've, I've worked with clients for, you know, 10, 11 odd years now. And over that time, um, I just, really enjoyed the way that I was working with my clients and I just through having to find ways to be able to help them and service them better, it grew into online coaching, probably much like you guys, where you didn't sit there and say, we want to make a lot more money. Let's start doing online coaching because it doesn't really work like that. But it was more so how are we able to meet the demands of our clientele who want to work with us, but who necessarily can't due to distance or due to time or just due to you trying to find ways to better leverage your time to be able to service people better. So I became online coaching maybe five or six years ago, and eventually that grew into um, me realizing how much more I enjoyed the education side of it. As to why, like, why I really was, why was, why was I really connecting with in terms of training people one on one? What did I really enjoy about the coaching experience? It was like great. Like I liked being able to get the competitor to stage. I liked being able to help a client drop some kilos or whatever. But what really got me over the line more than anything else was being able to help that person understand everything better on the education side of it. So around that time, I started doing a lot of educational workshops um, through Australia, and eventually I just decided to take that leap of faith and did it um, internationally. And that is where we are now, if there wasn't lockdown, where I would probably be on a tour at the moment. Um, but instead, you know, we're twilling our thumbs in lockdown. Mm. That's How do you find... Love it, love it. Sorry to interrupt you there. How do you find educating people online versus in person? Um, it's it's different, of course. It's different. Like I, I'm always going to um, to do in person events as much as I can um, because I just love that. I love the interaction. I love being able to work with people. There are always going to be things, especially in the realms of like biomechanics and training and exercise uh, selection, all those different kinds of things. 
there's always going to be something you just can't pick up in an online course. No matter how well-structured it is, no matter how detailed it is, no matter how many camera angles there are, until you're there experiencing it in the flesh, um, it's not going to be the same. You're going to be able to gain a lot of knowledge, but there's that, that little extra 10% or whatever, um, that's always going to be there for students to be able to get from an in-person interaction. But also, I just love it. Like, I love being able to work with somebody in person or many people in a classroom setting. And um, I like the, the live event of um, just the interactions. The people there where it, it's there's some kind of script and flow to the to a general workshop, but I always leave things very open to uh, interaction, where if a lot of the class is more, say, powerlifters, I'm teaching in a powerlifting gym, or I'm teaching in a CrossFit box, or whatever it is, I like being able to mold things to the individual, to the questions, to the classroom, and to the general, um, you know, to the general audience. And that, that's, what I, that's what helps keeps things interesting for me. Otherwise, if you're not teaching the exact same thing over and over and over and over again, which I have done, um, it gets kind of boring as well. Um, but online, of course, the exposure you can get, the reaching it, the impact you can get, that is unique in and of itself. Like no matter how much I do my workshop tours around the world, I will never ever be able to have the same level of impact um, immediately that I can have online. Like for example, um, just, uh, just recently I gave a, a live stream lecture on my app about pain and posture and muscular imbalances. And that's a, a lecture that I wanted to that I wanted to put out for the masses um, in some kind of setting for literally about four or five years, but I haven't done it because it's not enough to become a full blown couple of day workshop. Um, I can't justify doing just the one hour workshop or one hour lecture in person somewhere. And I knew that no matter how I did it, it wouldn't necessarily be done the way that I would want to given the resources and how it would work in an in-person environment. Now, doing it online, live streaming it, I could, for sure, I've got so many more people that I could ever get probably in one location where I had you know, over, like, it was like nearly 400 people in this one event, um, which was awesome. And, I mean, you can get that in an auditorium, I guess, but still trying to find that into one location is very challenging. Um, but again, I could, because I had the studio, I had everything set up the way that I wanted to, I knew that I could present it exactly the way that I wanted to and present all the information I needed to to be able to help translate that message to the, to the masses. And, um, and very fortunately, it was very well received. Like the response I got from it was overwhelmingly positive and it's one of my um, happiest moments in terms of my teaching career being able to do that. And it was an online thing, despite me really enjoying the personal, in-person stuff that I do in workshops. Yeah, I think that's majorly especially got to do with, obviously, like you said, it's content that's specifically effective in that mm. domain, which I think is probably what a lot of people in this uh, this world get wrong. Like you said to us before, like uh, Flex kind of started by virtue of a passion and servicing mm. people from demand that I otherwise could, we I couldn't service and Liz couldn't service in an online fashion, so we kind of just naturally progressed there. But most people try and say, I want to do X, like I want to be an online coach. Therefore, I'm going to just do all my content on that instead of like you found the spot for that particular piece of content. You've also found a spot for your other content. Hmm. A lot of people mess that up for sure. Dean mentioned hmm. this morning um, that he listened to a podcast you did with Jordan Shallow, RX Radio, hmm. and he mentioned that for a while um, you thought you were an introvert and that's why you didn't want to do in-person stuff. Am I getting this right? Yeah, well, that you aligned with the concept of being an introvert. Uh, but you've since realized, I think that, I think your, 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 uh, 
conversation was that you needed to essentially just become a better communicator. And then that gave you the energy to now be what other people may actually think you as being an extroverted individual. Mm, and yeah. The ability yeah. to do seminars and be confident and have fun. So how have you gone about um, the adjustment there? Right. So, yeah, to give people some context, if they haven't listened to that podcast, um, it, it is along the lines where for many years um, I would very even even as as as, um, as recent as maybe this time last year, um, I could easily identify someone who is an introvert by that nature of oh you've just done all this interaction socially you need to go into your shell and curl up in a ball and cry and, and recover before you can go out again and do that um, and. Um, the more I got to thinking about it, the more I realized that what was really exhausting about those interactions? Was it really exhausting having to talk about the stuff that I love? Was it really that exhausting having to talk to my friends, my family? Because, of course, like, you know, there are some people out there, like, maybe you are someone who needs to recharge every now and then, but there's always those people, friends, family, whoever it is, where you always feel comfortable around them. And how come it's not draining to be around them? Like, because they get you, maybe, but maybe it's because, because you have no issue connecting with them. You have no issue, because you, for whatever reason it is, you just connect well with those people. And that then should highlight to you why you need to recharge from every single other person out there, or every other interaction out there. It's because, not because you're, you're labeled as an introvert who stuck with, with this for the rest of your life. It's maybe because you suck at connecting with all those other people. And that is a lot more, like, it sounds kind of harsh to say, but it's actually owning something that you can actually improve upon. And it's recognizing a, I don't necessarily want to call it an inherent flaw, but it's just something about our personality that needs to be developed more. That's, yeah, if, if you can get on with certain people, I guarantee you, no matter how introverted a person may be, there's still going to be one or two people they feel comfortable around. And there's a reason for that. And if you can get comfortable around one person and you find, you don't find them to be draining and pulling away from your, um, from your energy levels, then there's no, there's actually no big reason why you shouldn't be getting that from just about every other person out there. The difference being, how easily you're able to connect. And what tends to drain a lot of people, including myself, this is why I identified with it so well, was what drains these introverts in inverted commas so much is the conscious or subconscious anxiety that they're having, the performance anxiety, the anxiety of not fitting in, the anxiety of not being able to connect and think, oh, what are people going to think of me? Oh, well, I wish I could fit in like those people do in that crowd. I wish I, I wish I had friends like that. I wish I could be like that. All of those thoughts that we ruminate over in these interactions, that is exhausting. The actual interaction itself, once you've broken those barriers, it's not exhausting at all. It should be energizing. Because again, like, like we're, we're humans, we're tribal, we're social creatures. We're designed to be social. Um, Again, there's going to be different levels of this. Like, I don't think everybody's going to be over the top, energized all the time around people. Um, but it should actually be seen, or it should be seen as maybe a little bit off if um, you struggle with those connections. And again, it doesn't mean that you're fucked up or that you're inherently flawed and broken. It just means that, hey, chances are you've spent zero time whatsoever trying to develop that. You spent zero time paying attention to that and realizing, hey, that's something I need to work on. It's just like, you know, with, with what we do in terms of training, bodybuilding, powerlifting, it's like maybe we, um, we just neglect cardiovascular work for, for our whole life. It's like, oh, it's not an issue whatsoever. I'm fine. Uh, until you actually realize, oh, maybe that's why I'm getting all these other issues because I've been, I've been neglecting something that I should have paid more attention to. Um, see, that's the exact same thing here. Is this, you don't really know what you don't know. And like that's why like a lot of what um, I enjoy talking about and teaching people about is yes training and and nutrition and biomechanics, but I also like people to realize that um, 
um, a big part of their ability to to get results is going to come down to um, their mindset, their psychology, their, their mentality, and their management of stress. And the biggest source of most people's stress levels is the internalization of a lot of these anxious thoughts from their inability to connect with people and their inability um, to thrive in a social setting or in any kind of interaction and to be to be comfortable like that. Um, and I guess when you think of that again to your initial kind of question was that transition. It came about through um, through a lot of the teaching that I was doing. Was I started to be able I started to be able to think a lot less about the actual content because I was just doing so much of it. And I was able to start thinking more about how can I make sure that what I'm communicating in the lecture is not falling on deaf ears. How do I make sure that these people aren't just becoming brain dead and falling asleep? How do I keep them excited and interested and actually active in the process for a 12-hour day? Because like you guys have run seminars as well, and you guys know after that first 40 minutes, people start shifting around. They get uncomfortable. People have got mm-hmm. even, even 10 minutes, even four minutes, people are starting to get ADD. If you don't get people's attention in the first minute of interaction, you have lost their attention for the rest of the hour. Those I first do the seminars with my shirt off <laughs> to get people's attention. Perfect. Yeah, um, but I mean, it is, it is as simple as that. Um, and then I realized, how do I get these people more interested? Not using, not using my boobs. How do I, how do I entertain while keeping my dick in my pants? That was a big challenge. And then it, it really came down to becoming an effective communicator. But you can only be an effective communicator if you really have a good level of awareness of yourself and who you are as a person. Because when you communicate, you are giving a piece of yourself to the audience to accept. That's a communication process. Now, you can't give somebody anything if you've got no clue about yourself. So where in this domain do you think that educators mainly go wrong? Or communicators? Um, well, most educators are obsessed, which is not a bad thing, but because it helps them with their understanding, they're obsessed with the content. They think, oh, because I've got this PhD, because I've got this degree, because I have done all this research, I've, done all, I've got this incredible PowerPoint presentation packed with references, it is going to be so engaging and enthralling as to get everybody's juices flowing. And that will appeal to a very, very, very small number of people. Even the complete nerds who love that kind of stuff, they're still going to not really engage with it and they're going to just become brain dead listening to a lecture like that. Um, and that's where I think a lot of educators go wrong is that they're, they're so incredibly knowledgeable in what they're doing. Like they're so good at nutrition, training, whatever it is, but they suck with their people skills. They suck with their communication. And that's why like, I really want to help people understand this more because there are so many of my friends, so many of my colleagues, people I know in the industry who are a wealth of knowledge. But what's holding them back is their ability to get it out there. What's holding them back is their ability to put it to the masses in a way that people want to consume it, they want to understand it, and then they want to share it and tell their friends about it. Mm-hmm. And that is ultimately how the industry as a whole can grow, is not if the one person is so successful, the one person has all the all the knowledge up in their ivory tower, but if they're able to translate that in a way that is appealing to as many people as possible. And the unfortunate catch-22 there is when these people, like part of what helps a lot of these people become so good at their craft of understanding nutrition or biochemistry or training or whatever it is, is because maybe they've gravitated towards that because they weren't that good in a social setting. You know, how many stories do you hear of that in different interviews? They're like, yeah, I I wasn't really a cool kid growing up, so I just started to nerd out in training. I didn't really fit in in sports, but I fell in love with the gym, and I started obsessing over that. I hurt my back. I couldn't really do training, so I started focusing on nutrition. That's everybody's story. You know, it's part of my story as well. Um, 
But eventually, when you have the knowledge, you owe it to yourself and you owe it to your audiences to say, how can I get better at giving that to people? But also, I think getting amongst the crowd and being social and presenting seminars, not just behind a camera or in your armchair or your ivory tower, you also mm. get to know what the real problems are yeah. So and, and where people aren't understanding. Like, where does that gap lie? Like, it might be easy to us because we have a foundational knowledge of science, but maybe mm. there's this gap between the research and the understanding, and we only know that as educators when we're amongst people. Mm. And we listen to what yeah. they struggle with. Yeah. Yeah, I think one, one, every time we've ever done a seminar, it's like, I think we've, we've got most of what we need to down here. And you start off, like you said, and it either starts up exceptionally well and continues, or it's flat and then it grows, or whatever it may be. And at the end of your life, I can't believe that they didn't understand that bit. Like, yeah. we, we missed that part of the market. We didn't understand that there was a hole there. And then we're like, okay, let's rejig this. Let's reevaluate. Let's determine where we need to take the next one. Yeah. 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 So I understand that you're a big fan of uh, having coaches, mentors to to learn from. Mm. Who would those people be? Um, in terms of like in-person interactions with people, um, so I know, I know a mutual friend of ours is um, is Luke Lehman. Oh yeah. So he, the guy who, who I looked up to uh, many years ago, and like I love I love going through a lot of what he was putting out there as content. Um, Prior to that, there are people like um, like Charles Poliquin. Um, there are people who I never met, guys like Vince Gironda, Bill Pearl, different old school bodybuilders. And I think an important thing with all these different mentors is um, understanding. Like, I think the mistake people make is when they hear people spit off these different names, they go and digest and they consume every single thing that person has done and take it as gospel. They start yeah. drinking Kool Aid. And um, th- that is where there's a lot of danger in that because every single person has got their own degree of Kool-Aid in what they're putting out, even myself. I'm, I guarantee you that a lot of what I put out, I'm sure it's great, but I'm sure that there's a good, a good 20% there of complete Kool-Aid. You know, there's, there's going to always be some stuff there that is not always going to be absolutely gospel that you should follow to a T because it's always going to be open to some interpretation. There's always going to be the it depends, and there's always going to be sound bites that get heard without the full context given. But that is part of why like, I try to, whenever I even do a post on Instagram, I try to give as much context as I can to help people understand that. But even then, then it comes down to that person's level of reading comprehension or listening comprehension, which is always going to be a little bit hit and miss as well. Um, but um, with all these different mentors is trying to find as many different sources as you can to be able to, um, to, be able to pull different bits of information from. And then more importantly than that is... How do you then use that Bruce Lee mentality of accept what is useful, reject what is useless, and then adapt what is uniquely your own? Um, so I couldn't even, like those names come to the top of my head, off, off the top of my head, but there are many, many more people who I'd always be, um, be looking to for, for more advice and more knowledge. Like just looking at my bookcase, I've got some work from Dr. Andy Galpin. I've got Lyle McDonald stuff up there as well. Um, I have, um, who else? While you block them, like, now there's a good example of a communicator. Oh, Lyle McDonald. <laughs> His communication style, oh my God, of a three-year-old. Yeah. 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 It's lacking a little bit, but that's okay, I guess. It works. It works. He's happy. He's happy, I guess. Um, who else says, um, there's Tudor Bomper, which is great for programming, periodization, and of course, Charles Poliquin. Um, but yeah, as many different sources as I can, but I also understand that every single one of those sources they're incredible, they're fantastic, but they're always going to be lacking. There's always going to be bits and pieces missing or that aren't applicable to me 
or aren't applicable to who I want to teach to, and I've got to find ways to adapt it um, or get rid of certain aspects of it. Yeah. You mentioned, like, interpretation and it depends and in this context, and I'm I'm finding that increasingly frustrating at the moment because there's only so many words you can put in an Instagram post and you want to talk about, I don't know, whatever, reps in reserve, something, whatever. But like how much background information can you give every single time you talk about this thing? Or like, is there just some copy and paste template, like in the right context, you know? Um, You almost need a forward. I I just want to like move on from that now and like assume some foundational knowledge. Uh, But that's probably not fair because we're not talking to scientists, we're talking to gen pop. Or... For sure, for sure. And and that's why I think, um, and this is very, very, very much a balancing act. Um, and I don't think it's necessarily, use your words, Eugene. I don't think there's necessarily a right or wrong to this, but this is what I've found to be a useful strategy for me, is first of all, understand that no matter how much context you give, people are still going to skip over it. Like, I'll put, I'll put out a video recently on my YouTube where, it was a, um, what was it? It was a, it was a band lat workout. And I, I didn't want it just to be, hey, here's a random workout. Go do it. Have fun with it and just run with it. I wanted to give some context saying, here is why I do these exercises. Here's why it's useful. Here's why it's better than doing other stuff you might be doing. And more than a good amount of comments on there were saying, bro, it took you five minutes to start talking about the actual workout. And I said, it's five fucking minutes yeah. to help you understand not just some random fitspo, fitfluencer workout, but actually why it's applicable, why it's useful, and who it's useless for. People are still going, it's still going to fall in deaf ears no matter how much context you give, and it's still going to be negatively received by many people as well. Um, so I, in that lens, lens I'm like, kind of like, nah, don't worry about it. Can put the content however you want to put it out, and then let the people who can benefit from it, benefit from it by going through the entire experience. But in the same breath, in terms of trying to get the right impact, where you're trying to reach a wider audience. Because, you, you know, I don't want to just have this content I'm putting out there be reserved just for personal trainers. I don't want it reserved just for scientists or whoever it is. I want it to be received well by as many people as I can because the people who would normally switch off and disengage, they're probably the people who need, need it the most. Like, those are the people who need, who need that guidance and support. And that is where it is, um, it, it could be beneficial to have things that are, very, very easy to digest, almost to the point of clickbait, although I, de- I definitely try to trend away from pure clickbait stuff. But understand that, yeah, you know what, I'm going to put out a video that's going to give pretty much no context and just say, hey, do this exercise, it's going to fuck your life up and you'll love it. And understanding that is people, it's going to get people's foot in the door. We have to look at this through a consumer life cycle. If someone's going to come in and they're going to have an impression of you and they're probably going to walk out the door, turn off the phone and forget about you altogether. And that means they're a lost customer altogether. There's a higher chance they're going to turn off and not be a customer and not be a consumer of information if it is long-winded, boring and wordy and not appealing whatsoever. But if you can at least get their foot in the door, that one post is not going to change them and not going to help them long-term. It never was going to though anyway. Even if they became a consumer, that post is not going to be the be-all and end-all to change their life. It's going to be about the 10 other posts that you do down the line. It's going to be about them saying, you know what? These guys are flex success. They're putting out some really interesting content that I can understand. I wonder what they have to offer on their blog. 
I wonder what they have to offer on their YouTube. I wonder what, I'm learning a lot from these 30 second Instagram videos. I'm learning a lot from these short hundred word posts on Twitter. I wonder what they've got written up in their, in their archives, in their article section. And that's where the consumer will naturally self select how deep they go into your offering. But that's why you gotta have different offerings. And that's why in terms of like, what I do with social media, um, I mean, a big part of it is just because I enjoy doing it more than anything else. Um, but I do make sure I'm trying to give people different layers, different levels, where YouTube is positioned in a certain way. Instagram posts are a certain way. Instagram stories are a certain way. Instagram lives are a certain way. The stuff on my website, my app, that's done in a certain way. To the point where a lot of my people, they're like, man, the Eugene that's on Gambaru Method on your app is very different to the Eugene that we get on Instagram Live. It's very different to the YouTube YouTube. And I said, yeah, it is, because I'm trying to make sure that I can still be me and not put on a fake act. But I also know that I'm trying to connect with as many people as I can the best way possible. And it's going to be through sharing different amounts of information at different points in time, depending on who it's appropriate for. I personally love the Instagram Live Eugene the best, where you sing into a broomstick or something. Um, and I'm always so amazed at your luscious locks. Well, it's always so shiny. Thank Mine's up in a bun uh, permanently because it's just I, I can't maintain this Hagrid hairstyle, but yours I'm very jealous of. Well, um, I this just for you guys. Did you? There's got to be years in that. How many years is into that? I started growing it from pretty short um Probably about a sh- probably shorter than what the sides are now. Um, about 2011 for my first bodybuilding show, and then like, I've, had, I've had trims since then. But um, yeah, that's mm. about probably 10 years. Wow, that's a lot of hair. I um I feel like uh, with the little bit you talk about this context prior to giving the information on the post that's short. Perhaps mm. we all need to go for like the Joe Rogan esque start to a podcast where everybody knows you're going to get four minutes of ads. So we should have a jump to point. So it's kind of like, if you're interested in the context, here it is. Well, but yeah. if not, jump to there and jump to the extra bit that you just want to just watch on. Yeah, it's funny. If you don't give the context, you get criticised. If you give the context, you get criticised. Mm. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. Like, like the happiest medium, and that's actually quite a simple thing to do, is just put in timestamps. And say, so, hey, at two minutes in, this is when the workout starts. At one minute in, this is when I talk about why I don't like barbells. At five minutes in, this is where I get, I get naked. So people know where to go for whatever they want to consume. Mm. Yeah. So there's a lot going on. You've got your app and, you know, posts and Instagram videos and your website and YouTube. Do you find all of that exhausting or do you wish that social media wasn't so important in 2020? Um, good question. Um, it definitely, um, it, it very rarely feels like work. I'm very fortunate that I can say that where I generally like, with my video guys, sit there saying, I can't wait to be able to film this next bit. And I can't, and even if we spend an hour straight trying to film a five minute video for YouTube, I'm happy to do that. Cause I know every time we do it and reshoot it and retake an angle, it's for a good purpose. They're like, yeah, we're going to try this new angle now. We're going to try using this line, not that line. We're going to try using a dumbbell, not a barbell. It's exciting for me to be able to do that. And then the end product is a five minute YouTube video. Um, where even like every time I get to sit down and write, uh, a post for Instagram or I'm writing an email or videoing or something in the back of my mind I mean you could very easily see oh, content creation is so exhausting so much work but I see it as this is an opportunity for me to be able to put out something that I know is going to have the potential to help a lot of people to impact their lives to get somebody training and you know what reinforces that for me, which is probably more about the position that I've been able to create for myself now, is the feedback that I get from people. Like that is so 
Um, that is what makes a lot of it worthwhile, is when I hear about someone saying, look, Eugene, I listened to that pain lecture and it's completely changed how I approach my injury now and I feel so much better already. Or I tried that exercise, I've been so demotivated training Corona, I've been so depressed, and then I did that one thing that you show with a towel on your Instagram, it looked fucking stupid, but oh my God, I feel like I'm so excited now to start trying different, different exercises or whatever it is. And being able to see just that kind of positive impact, that is extra fuel to say, wow, I like it helps motivate me more and more and more to say like, this is why I really love um, the work that I, that I, that I do. And that I, I really don't necessarily see it as work. It definitely does get exhausting when you're going at the back of a 12 hour day, just writing content straight of a computer or having to edit videos like that kind of, that consumes up a lot of time and that can be tiring. Um, do I wish that social media wasn't around? Or as important? As important? Um, maybe, but then you're always going to have to counter that with what is it going to be replaced with? If there was, if social media was a lot less important, what would be the thing that would take its place for you, for you to be able to create the same connections, for you to be able to create the same impact or whatever it is? And I can't even think as to what that would be. So even though there are times where like my phone is always going off the hook from different notifications or different people I'm trying to get back to, or even just my own developing team or my, my PA or whatever it is. Um, and there are times where like, I wish I could just throw it all away. Um, that kind of mentality, I recognize it as entitlement as me thinking like, I should be able to just have all these connections, have all the good side, all the upside without the downside. And, and we really think about it. Is the downside really that down? Is having to reply to somebody who's taken the time out to message you, is that really a downside? No, it fucking isn't. Is it really a downside that I'll have to listen to a voice note from an app developer who's telling me about the like, update he's just put through? It definitely isn't. Like those, those are the blessings that, that I get to, to, to partake in every single day in, in what I do. Um, so for sure, like I get tired, I get drained at the end of the day, but I still always bring back, myself back to the, the mentality of, hey, this, all of these things, they're really not that big a deal. They're really not that big a deal whatsoever. Even though you may frame those negative things, they're actually very, very positive things. And these positive things allow you to create even more positive things. And yeah, it all does come down to social media. So um, I'll probably be the first person to stand against the axing of social media because of what it's allowed me to do. What a refreshing attitude. Yeah, but it's all actually very true. This is kind of aligns with uh, Jordan's uh, recommendation on something worth sharing too. I think it was, it, uh, it was the book, uh, if, if This Is A Man, Is This A Man? Yeah. It was about a, a, a Nazi war camp. Um, Man's Search For Meaning. Is that the one? Is it man's search for meaning? Is that the no. one? No, but it was, it was it was a recollecting. He's kind of the the long and the short of it was this person was a prisoner of war camp, and like when you read about that, guess what, man, life ain't so bad. Yeah, like, the, the day we recorded this podcast with Jordan, this was just last week. Dean and I had a really rough week. We had some shit hit the fan with work, and we were both feeling pretty sorry for ourselves. But Dean's like, oh, remember Jordan's book recommendations? Like if we compare our life yeah. to that, like how bad was our day really? We were sitting in our comfortable office chairs typing away. Like, yeah. And then I got right. up the next day and I checked in with clients and I read their shit and I'm like, fuck man, this is, this is good. Like what? And even if it is bad tomorrow, like really, how bad is it? In comparison. Oh, it's not bad at all. You know, like yeah. but, um, how big is team Eugene Teo? Um, not very. So that there is me. There is my, my app guy who, who is, he's got his own developer team who work behind the scenes for a lot of the support stuff and a lot of the upgrades to different servers. Like we've blown up our servers the last couple of weeks just with all the live stream stuff. So they've been working around the clock, which is 
absolutely incredible. Um, I have my video guy, Calvin, who is a relatively new recruit since, I think, December, I want to say, we started. I, I brought him on, and we started um, working together. And that's it. Your PA? Oh, yes. Yeah. So, so, so one of my best friends, Olivia, she helps out a lot with um, making sure that I, I pay people on time and things like that. Yeah, the nitty-gritty. Although, um, admittedly, I'm absolutely terrible with communicating with her. So she comes back to me saying, Eugene, you haven't replied to any of my emails or my calls in the past two weeks. Um, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> so listen to this, and um, I haven't replied to her email or her calls or her texts. Um, so, yeah. Sorry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see it. it doesn't exist. <laughs> exactly right. It's not a problem if you don't know it exists. <laughs> so before we move on from social media, Dean pointed out to me that you have quite a large following, but you only follow about 100 people. Mm. Yeah. I, I, I randomly had a look. I don't think I've ever looked at somebody's uh, who, they, who they follow list. Mm. But yeah. I was like... As a, as a dude who's obviously a, a major contributor to the industry, you're an educator, who does an educator follow? It was mm. an interesting question that I asked myself, so I checked yours out, and I thought I might ask you, Gene, what, uh, what determines who you follow right. on Instagram specifically? And what do I have to do to be worthy? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, tell me which seminar you go to and what the timestamp is for your top coming off, and I'll be there. No. <laughs> Exactly. No, so Instagram, like I used to follow many more people and it's not about the ratios or being cool or anything like that. It's literally about I'm trying to protect my headspace as much as I can. I'm trying to protect myself from as many distractions as possible because there was a time and it's so easy because that's how much time I spend on my phone. Like I literally would spend a few hours a day on my phone, on Instagram, on the app and um, having too many people there creates so many distractions. It's like, oh, what are these guys up to? Oh, what are these guys up to? Oh, new post, new post, new post. And it becomes a mess. Whereas now, because of how little people I follow, even if I got stuck in the Instagram vortex to the point where I started just literally scrolling, which I never do anymore, but if I was scrolling, I would hit the end of whatever the latest updates were within about five minutes. Mm-hmm. So it organically becomes a way to stop me from getting stuck in, um, in Instagram vortexes. Um, in terms of people I follow, they're going to be either The Rock. <laughs> He's the or, sexiest man alive, can I just say? Yeah, yeah. Um, um, or people who, like, it might be clients as well. So a, a large bulk of that would make up certain certain long-term clients who, who I've worked with. Um, it'll be people that I'm working with on a, like, on a professional level in some way where I need to keep up to date with what they're doing. Um, or it would be people who are, like, who are literally friends. People who are like very friends, who I want to use as more of, as a social network kind of thing. But even then, um, I don't engage with them much on social media because again, I'm, I'm literally on there and I see it more as an opportunity for me to um, to interact with the audience from business. So I want to make sure that I, when I'm on here, I'm not here for me. I'm here for my followers. I'm here to make sure that these people are being taken care of, that they're getting good content, that I'm able to help them out with their questions, and as much as I can, I. Um, I try to focus as much of my time on Instagram around that. Ooh, yeah. That's some sound advice. I like it. I, I did a little cleanse recently of, you know, people love, or chicks specifically, love to put up, like, ass photos. Yeah. And I was finding, um, oh, I, I feel like I'm pretty, like, emotionally secure and 
don't have a lot of insecurities. Dean might correct me, but um, I was finding that when my whole Instagram was full of just like other people's asses, I was starting to compare myself a little bit, and which is so ridiculous because it's the highlight reel. I get like there's filters and they'll stand up and there's cellulite there, which the camera doesn't see in that particular photo. But I just did a cleanse and I find now that I go through, I'm like, oh, that's a cute dog picture or I love this researcher and I can read something interesting or there's Eugene Teo singing into a broomstick. And, and I really love my time spent there instead of leaving it feeling like a piece of shit. Well, again, it can become energy providing instead of energy, yeah, that's energy true. sucking, you know, yeah, yeah. for sure. I The one thing that I do like about at least Instagram and the way in which it does deliver you information is that you only get delivered the information that you regularly seek. Uh, and if you don't seek that kind of shit, you typically don't see it, which is good. The problem is, is when you are someone who does educate, you often get tagged in crap. Mm. And then if you get tagged in crap, you then get thrown into the vortex of seeing that crap for the next week until it gets thrown back out again. So I'm always just like, don't tag me in negative shit. I don't want to see it. (laughs) (laughs) I do get a lot of that. And um, just, I don't even know how, but over time it's become desensitized to it. Where like I just like phase it out, block it out, whatever. I don't even know if it, if I even acknowledge it half the time. Um, I mean, part of the, um, the, the fortunate position I'm in is like a lot of the tags I get. Um, if it's a mention like in a story, of course I'll see it there, but a lot of things I actually don't see unless I actually go searching for it because it will get lost in a sea of other uh, notifications in there. Um, like even me just trying to keep up with my, uh, my inboxes on there is a fucking nightmare where if, if a day goes past and I didn't reply to somebody, I'm not going to find that message. Mm. Yeah. You don't have somebody to handle that stuff? No, no, like, I've had so many people offering that to me for, like, social media management. I say, like, why, like, I can understand the, um, the benefit of it if it was, if it wasn't me, if it was, like, a corporation. Like, maybe for, for Flex Success, it could be beneficial to have somebody who would heading up the Flex Success Instagram as opposed to, like, your individual ones, because your individual, like, Dean McKillop, um, Eugene Teal, like, these are, um, people are coming there for, for you. And it would be so disingenuine and um, to have somebody else answering on my behalf. And and like I, I know people, um, people who are in this industry who, who do like you know sort of what we do as well. And um, they'll have their assistants or whatever jump on their Facebook, jump on their Instagram, and reply to the messages for them. And and I just see that as so like it's not authentic at all. These people are coming and putting in the time and effort to connect with you and you don't want to give them the time of the day, but you want to get all the accolades. Again, it's the entitlement. It's like put in the work to connect with these people and put in the effort. And you know what? If you can't get back to everybody, that's because you're human. That's okay. And you know what? People understand that. People understand that. Hey, you know what? I'm guessing that you might not see this message and that's fine. Like when you get back to them, if you can get back to them, it's great. They love that. They appreciate that. Um, but yeah, like one person who comes to mind, not mentioning any names, but he was telling me how, um, he, again, he has his assistants or whatever, his workers, his employees answer all his stuff posing as him. And then he was out and about and he got recognized and they're like, Oh, thank you so much for your help with such and such. And he was like, Oh yeah, mate. That was me. Yeah. And like, I would hate to ever be put in that position. Like I'm sure he brushed it off. I'm sure that I'm sure the, the guy didn't pick up on the disingenuous behavior there. Um, but that doesn't sit right with me. It doesn't yeah. sit right with me. I would rather not get back to somebody and then have it as an anomaly there as opposed to having somebody else pose as me and giving them something that is not me, that is completely fake. 
Because that's not a real connection. Yeah, we can think of quite a few people who actually take it one step further and people would inquire about their coaching services. And they're like, yeah, no worries, I'll take you on. And that person isn't coaching the person because it's an online Mm. service in written format. Mm. They get their partner to do it or their staff member to do it and they sign off as like, you know, with Mm. their name. Yeah, it's certainly one of the uh, the curses of online is that you can hide behind the veil of of yep. the appearance that is supposed to be you but isn't. Um, yep. but so I, cool. Yeah, but yeah, I'm I'm similarly. I mean, I would, I just, I just one, I would have a lot of trust issues with that the person is speaking on my behalf in the way in which I want to actually be received. Like that would be one big problem. And then secondly, yeah, I would hate to ever be caught out. Not that I would do it from that. I think I also get the same buzz that you get. Like, hey man, I actually did what you said the other day and it was fantastic. Yeah, that's I'm nice. just like, oh, that's cool. And when we get all those messages coming to Flex's inbox, I'm like, man, this is like super cool. Like, yeah, we don't have anyone manage our social media. We no. we do it. But but you're managing Eugene, like at Eugene Teo seven days a week. We have our own social media day of the week. And because there's, you know, so it's, it's easier for us than it is for you. For but sure. what about holidays? Can you like take a weekend off? Life's a holiday, isn't it? <laughs> that's it. Like um, there's two ways to put it is um, – I spend hours working on this, but again, is it like, and you guys don't spend as much working on yours, but it's just about the scale of what you're trying to do with it. Like you guys are, um, you don't need a humongous, humongous social media following. So you don't need to create the same kind of um, community, I guess, on social media that I've had to or whatever it is. And you can still, that's why like you guys still are very successful at what you do. It's about the levels. Um, so I don't think there's anything wrong with spending less time on social media um, from a business perspective. At least you do know the benefits of it and you do spend time on it. And then over time, eventually it may grow and you might realize, you know what, maybe it is worth investing more and more time into this over time. Like I never, or I never used to spend a few hours of time on Instagram or social media. It used to be 10 minutes. And then eventually I realized, ah, I should be spending more time here because it's helping me with the website or the app or whatever it is. And it's, and it actually became more of a viable option than actually working with clients. And that's how I started tr- transitioning away from a lot of the personal online coaching I was doing and doing more of the website, more of the app stuff and all those kinds of things. Um, because just a business evolves. Um, but yeah, like as Dean said, in terms of holidays, um, I genuinely, um, don't really feel a big need to be completely taking a break from it all or escaping all of this because um, like I don't live for the weekends. I don't live for the holiday. I don't, I don't live for the time off. Like I, I live for every single day. Every single day I'm excited to be able to do what I do. Um, and when I need some time to disconnect and say, you know what, I'm not going to be on my, on my phone today, I do that. Like actually, it's kind of funny. Somebody messaged me the other day on Instagram and they were like, coach, you haven't posted in 17 hours. Are you okay? <laughs> and it was genuine concern of like, is everything all right? Because just yeah, let us be like you know what I, I want to spend a little bit of time not looking at my phone, not um, not being consumed, having to reply to people, even just post my story. Um, like I was still using my phone, I was still on there a little bit, but I wasn't um, as actively trying to create content on that day. Um, and I'm no worse for wear for doing that. Well, I'm better off mentally for doing it, but I'm no worse for wear from business perspective doing it. Um, where a few days here and there is not a big deal to be switching off and disconnecting because I know that for myself. When I'm on there, I'm putting my all into it. And what's better, the quantity of spending more and more hours on there or eventually any time you spend on there is actually quality hours. And that's what I'm really trying to focus on. So if I had to say, for myself, if I got to a point where I was like, oh, I'm so burned out, if that ever did come to a point, I need to take a week off altogether, 
I would happily do that because I would know that it'd be my benefit to be able to come back a week later and be more energized and be more refreshed. Although I haven't really found had to get to that point um, because yeah, every day it's 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 enjoyable, it's fun, and this is like this is my holiday to an extent. Ooh. That's nice. So you take uh, reactive deloads from social when needed. <laughs> yeah. yeah, when absolutely needed, or from just like feeling like usually it happens after some kind of like if I've done an event, if I've done some kind of like when I had my I think the most recent one was after I did that pain lecture, I was just buzzing for about two days straight because I was just so excited from it all, and I was like, okay, Eugene, you're going to have a big come down from this because your body's just on this big high. There's going to be a come down. There's always going to come with that just a general flat nature, like me less creativity. You're going to be more run down. You're going to be less sociable. In that time, um, you're going to want to just you know be introverted in that way. So give yourself that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's quite rare. If you did take a week off, what would you be doing? Where would you go? I don't know. That's why I don't take those weeks off. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know, like when I'm let's say let's say there was no lockdown right now, um, I can go anywhere, and I, I and I would go anywhere in terms of traveling the world, seeing friends, doing doing whatever it is that I would want to do. Um, but I would do that whether I was working or not. Like there's this podcast right now, there's no reason why I couldn't be doing this across the country in Perth. There's no reason I couldn't be doing this over in the UK. A lot of the content I create with the way they've got things up now, yes, I wouldn't have my, my gym, for example, but I could still create a lot of the same content no matter where I am in the world. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. It's so, such nice flexibility, isn't it, working online? Dean and yeah. I, we plan on um, our, our dog's 14, so he's going to dog heaven soon. And... When that happens, we we don't want children. There's nothing tying us to Australia. So we're going to start in London, I think we said, and every three months just go to a new city or a new country and just do that till we get bored. Who knows? We'll see what happens. I love the flexibility. So yeah. Cool. Like, I don't think you'll ever get bored. I don't think you'll ever get bored. But it's strange because when, when I first started traveling, it was so disruptive because you've got no routine. Um, you know, especially like I was going like a few months is great, but doing like week to week, every single week you're in a new location, every few days you're in a new location, living out of a suitcase, different hotels, airports or whatever. Um, but then something interesting happens is your routine becomes having no routine and you learn to thrive in that environment and you learn to love that environment. When I came home, um, last year, I think it was like October, um, that was after maybe like eight months of straight touring, eight months of being on the road and, I knew, I anticipated, I said, when I come home, I'm going to be so lost. I'm going to have a, a good month where I've got no idea what to do with myself because I've no longer got all the different, the routine that I've gotten used to and that, that I was actually thriving in, not even just getting used to. What am I going to do with myself? It was sort of like um, something I knew I had to account for. So I intentionally booked in a couple of little just like local vacations or just traveling things like, I'm going to go over to Perth, I'm going to go to Sydney, um, I'm just going to create something for myself to do up there just to give myself, just to help to ease that transition. Because yes, there's no workshop anymore, there's no work, but I'm going to create something so I have to get out of the house, I have to travel more, just to help me ease into the home lifestyle of being in one in one location, um, which I think has been very, very beneficial for helping me get back into where I'm at now, in one place. Shit, imagine going from an eight-month tour to going to COVID. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, I mean, like, you know, um, Jordan Shallow was just like that, where he was, you know, he was touring, or he's, he's 
in the middle of his year to uproot most of his tour, and then now he's just in in lockdown. Like he's obviously he's got a lot going on. He's got to keep himself busy. He's had to innovate a lot more with a lot of his offering, uh, with his pre-script courses, which is. I know for him, it's it's frustrating, it's challenging right now, and he knows as well that's a big blessing. It's forced him to create something he was going to create anyway, and it's going to help his business so much more in terms of scalability and its reach post-COVID, or even like right now with COVID, where I wouldn't be surprised if his business, I, don't, I haven't asked him personally, but if his business is thriving right now because of everything, not in spite of it. I reckon it's actually helped him a lot. Yeah, for sure. I mean, most of the time we have all of these little tasks that we want to get done, but we have other things that need to be done. And it's mm. likely now that a lot of people are in a position where they have the opportunity to do the things they should have been doing but didn't really have the time to do. Mm. Um, yeah. It's certainly going to, um, I think, separate those that are willing to, to lock in and get work done in an appropriate manner versus those that are just going to cry poor and go, ah, this is a shit time, and just yeah. let it run over them like a steamroller. Speaking of which, is there anything that you've always wanted to do um, in this space that you haven't had time to or you just hadn't, hadn't done yet? Um, like in the fitness industry and professional, yeah. um, no, actually no. Like anything that I that I decide that I want to do, like for example, I I thought months ago, um, I thought how cool would it be if like I've got the I've got this app, I've got this website here. How cool would it be is it um, if I could? This is even before I started doing live streams on Instagram. If I could start doing live stream workshops, if I could start having my workshops available to the masses in some way, because um, I've got the facility. I've got the camera, I've got everything. How can I make these workshops I do available not just to 30 or 40 students who can fly in to come see me, but how can I make it accessible to everybody? Um, that was like a want. Like, I wish I could do that. And then, you know, in due time, in the few months, like now now we're here, now I've made that. Um, and it has actually been that process since I was a personal trainer, where I was like, as a personal trainer, I was like, mm, I wish that I would be able to find a way to be able to service all these clients who I'm seeing better. And then that grew into online coaching. I was like, hmm, how can I help all these other people who I can't take on as online coaches? Hmm, how can I help these people understand what I'm trying to do better? Oh, I can start teaching. Hmm, how can I help these people across the world? I can start teaching internationally. How can I help people who can't come to my events? How can I give them access to information? I can create the website. I can create the app. And then how can I make the app even better? How can I make everything I do even better? Oh, I can create this live stream function. I can create this, create this workshop, this, this workout function in the app where people can track their workouts or get given workouts in the app. It's all come about through the organic need of having to fill that, or fill something that, that, um, I have an idea for essentially. Um, and up until this point, there actually hasn't been anything that I haven't been able to do that I've wanted to do. As mm-hmm. when the idea comes, I've been able to then action it maybe not immediately, but within a reasonable amount of time, I've been able to action it and make it happen when it was supposed to happen. And I think that's another big thing is, um, like for the longest time I wanted my own gym. I remember back in 2015, five years ago, I was days away from opening my own space. It was, um, but it was for all the wrong reasons. And it was, it was happening at a time that was too soon for me. It was not yet, um, that I should have, that I should have done it. And it fell through for a number of reasons that are very negative experiences we don't need to get into. Um, I mean, if you want to, we can. I don't mind. Um, <laughs> but um, it fell apart, and I was like, oh, this sucks. Um, but looking back on it now, the gym happened now when it needed to happen, when, it, when the timing was appropriate. Had it have happened back then, five years ago, 
I would be stuck in there. I'd be dealing with a lot of these COVID issues right now if I still had that space, if I didn't go bankrupt or having trying to run a gym the way that it was meant to be run back then that was not um, aligned with my values, aligned with my integrity. I would be selling out if I had that gym um, in, a, in a very, very big way. So everything that I've, I've come to learn that everything that I want, if I can't have it right now, there's a very good reason. And that reason is probably because I'm not ready to handle it. I'm not ready to manage it. I'm not ready. I'm not at that chapter in my life trying to skip ahead 10 chapters to the happy ending without going through all whatever has to go beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, so very, having that mindset, that mentality around it has allowed me to have a lot more focus and, and peace with what I'm doing and knowing that I'm usually going to be on the right track with whatever it is that I decide to do. Hmm. What do you think is next, the next chapter for you? I don't know. You know, you know. Jordan asked me that the same, the similar kind of question, and I didn't have a firm answer for him okay. because um, there actually isn't one. And I, as much as people think, oh, you're doing so well in your business or whatever, you must have a firm business plan. I'm like, I don't have a firm business model. I just sit there and say, what am I currently doing? How can I do it better? How can I make it better? Like, look at what I'm doing today compared to what I was doing a year ago or five years ago. Of course, what I'm doing right now is so much better, more impactful, higher quality, higher value. I'm still going to say, how can I make this even better? How can I make this app? How can I make um, my website? How can I make the content I put out? How can I make my YouTube channel, whatever? How can I make it even better? Not for the sake of business, but just for the sake of, of asking myself this question of, wouldn't it be cool if, <laughs> or how can I make, how can I improve this even more? Um, like, the other day when I was filming um, that lecture um, for the app, most people don't know, but we had four camera angles going. We had four camera angles, three different lights, um, and two microphone setups. We needed none of that. <laughs> we, needed, we needed an iPhone recording me like this, and it'd be all good. Um, but my, my thing is always saying, can it be done even better? Can we go over the top? Just for the sake of saying we can do this, not to pump our interest and pump our own ego, but just say, you know, like, why would you, it would be a disservice to not go above and beyond when you have the opportunity to. Like, that's what I've always been about with my clients when I was a personal trainer in any job. Like, fuck, when I worked at Subway, <laughs> when I was like 14 years old, I was like, you want meatballs? I'm going to give you so many fucking meatballs. I'm going to put these guys out of business right now. You get <laughs> meatballs. Um, like, just go above and beyond for these people, for anybody, just because it's, it's exciting to do that. It's exciting to live a life like that. Um, to say, what could I do if there was no limitation to to it? And because most people real, need to realize that a lot of limitations that they think exist are limitations just in their mind. Mm. Okay, like there is really no limitation to what you're capable of in terms of all this kind of stuff in this realm. It really comes down to um, the perseverance and maybe the timing. Maybe you can't do all the things you want to do immediately, but it is possible, and you can have those goals. You can work towards them. But it's always got to start with the one question of how can we improve this? How can this be made even better? So that's what's always bouncing around my head right now. It's like, yeah, right now I'm doing, I'm really comfortable with, what, with, what, with what's happening. I'm still thinking, how can I make this better? And I haven't gotten the answer to that just yet. Mm-hmm. Not just yet. It's got to be a lot of job satisfaction in that. Not not just doing the minimum that's necessary. Well, that's because most of your decisions are made around uh, chasing betterment, but within within in a line with integrity. Mm. And I think even like Liz and I from the very beginning, always have had open discussions about making decisions for the betterment of the message, not for necessarily the betterment of trying to make X dollars and do it in a particular way. It's always like 
we should offer this to clients because that will be better for the client. And yeah. it just so happens that when you actually have solid integrity and you, you work hard at your craft, that most people then like and like that craft and follow you with it, right? Well, actually, we don't definitely don't make decisions based off how many more followers can we get putting this post up or how much more <laughs> money could we charge our clients for this service because uh, if that was the case, we'd have more followers and more money. But we, <laughs> we, we definitely... We have we have particular goals and we kind of dig our heels in and do the work mm. for the but quality. But again, it's more aligned money. with integrity than it is about doing things for the sake of doing them or for the purpose of the end goal being a, a financial gain. Mm. Yeah, for sure. 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 Is there anything you've done in the past that you wish you did better or didn't do at all or didn't pump? No. I'm, I'm trying to think if there genuinely is anything... And it, it comes down to that old cliche of every single mistake you made was really a lesson. Every single issue, every single thing that you wish at the, at the time that you could take back, it led to the best opportunity. It led you to exactly where you are right now. So every single potentially negative experience um, was actually a, a very good one. And I can't even think of many negative experiences that, I'd, um, that were truly, truly negative um, that didn't have, have an upside to it. Um, where I would want to go back and change, um, because yeah, like if I look back at what I like, what I used to teach, what I used to talk about, maybe I'm like, oh fuck, some of that stuff was was wrong. Like I'm sure you've done the same, where you've put it confidently, you're like, you know what? Fucking ten years ago, Dean McKillop was a fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck were you doing? What the fuck were you doing? Like it happens. Um, but would you would you want to go back in time for that Dean ten years ago, and somehow he has all that knowledge you have today? Then he would never make any, he'd be infallible, he'd make no mistakes, he'd have no growth. I actually wouldn't want that. Because you have to go through these really painful lessons where you get embarrassed royally, where you get publicly shamed to make you realize that that was something you should improve upon mm. with your message to give you more clarity. And, and that's very, very powerful. Like whenever anybody criticizes you or throws hate your way, it's going to tell you two things. Either they're just a complete fucking idiot you should give no time to, so it's a null argument anyway, or maybe they have a very valid point to be criticizing you and throwing hate your way, and maybe you need to have a good look at what you're doing and grow from that. And then that was what will then, it should be no regrets at that point, and that's why I don't have any real fear of putting out the content that I put out. Because sometimes, you know what, like I said about the Kool-Aid, I'm sure some of my Kool-Aid I put out there may be incorrect, and that's fine, because you know what, when, when the right person comes along and says, you know what, Eugene, actually, that's not entirely correct, or that could be explained better, or maybe you didn't complete the whole big, big picture for people, give, could have given them more context. I'm like, oh, you know what? You're right. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for being respectful about that. I'm going to prove my message now for the future. And yeah. it's that simple. So there aren't really any, any regrets with that mentality. I mm. that. I love that. Well, it's true. I think uh, the mistakes that we make allow us to also educate those people that we were far more yes. effectively in mm. the now, right? Yeah, and to you know, understand like, where those potholes were. Because true, I was like, uh, I for sure have had like moments in time where I was very dogmatic in my belief systems around nutrition and I may have been very blunt and forward, like, you know you're wrong, you know, as opposed to just saying, is there a reason why you do that, you know? And, yeah. and now that I've gone through that phase, when I'm, uh, whether I'm just doing consults with people randomly or even just trying to educate now forward, I'm very aware of the language that I try and choose so that I'm not caught out being that same person I was five years ago. Actually, one thing Dean and I have realized, I think you do a lot more verbal content. We 
we mainly focus our bread and butter on one-on-one clients. Um, and we have video calls and whatnot, but the bulk of our communication is in written format. Mm. And uh, as an example, what was it that um, – oh, I don't want to name names here, but anyways, we could say something to them like, um, you, you could have done this better, and I would suggest it this way. And if we were talking to them, it would be like, hey, you could have done this better, I would suggest it this way. But if they were reading it, they'd be like, you could have done that better. Yeah. You know? So even just the language that we use in written format has to be really soft in case we know the person's reading it in a bad mood. <laughs> so, oh. like, how will it come across to them? considering a bad mood how you type things to a client to um like either pull them into line if it's a contest prep point of view or to try and get them to be a little bit more um objective about their decisions own up or to something own up to something whatever it is. that's a very different approach to what it would be if you verbalize it for sure yeah i actually just had this happen with a client recently i came i didn't come down on him but rather i said my my standards are here i want you to try and come up to them but the language that i chose he was like kind of like Oh, I thought we got along better than this, man. I was like, oh, it seems like my intention was misinterpreted. Uh, misinterpreted. Maybe sure. I should reword it the following way. Yeah, and how sure. you type is not how you speak. No, you know, you've got to be really careful. Do, um, do you guys use much voice notes or video messages with clients? Yeah, we sure. use a uh, platform called Loom. Yeah, uh, so you can, yeah, screen recording when you're going yeah. through check-ins, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure. yeah I'm very... I'm very adamant now within my initial consultation period to ask the client, do you learn better through uh, visual, through through auditory, or even just through reading? Um, yeah. Because I've found that, yeah, some clients, I've, I've barraged them with a bunch of information, and they, they read the top line, and then they skip to the five minutes in on your video and just go, <laughs> you know you did that wrong, motherfucker. It's like, yeah. no, if you read the first five minutes, you'd realize there's a reason why I do this. Um, and I completely now just give my feedback uh in response to that answer to that question, and I found it to be far more effective in regards to the delivery and receival. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's some stuff that, like, kind of has to be in writing, like a bullet point yeah. list of instructions. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, and some stuff that's better off in, like, ex- like talking through a training program or something. Mm. Done in writing would be a novel. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, I started doing, when I was working a lot with my clients, was, yeah, a lot of the Loom recordings, the video recordings, um, just, like, pick up on the, on the tonality so they knew that I wasn't, like, crashing down on them hard and saying, you're fucking wrong and stop doing this shit, you fat fuck. Um, or I, was doing, I, was doing, I was doing it with love when I said it, at least. Um, <laughs> there was a smile on my face. Um, because, I mean, it's very hard to convey a lot of emotion in words. And even then, you're always going to be limited by the end user's reading comprehension. And their comprehension may not be the same as your comprehension or the other person's comprehension. We're all in different contexts. But it's very hard to misinterpret um, a talking head. Um, and that saved me a lot of time because, yeah, I'll try to explain to somebody a program and it would be a fucking two-page document <laughs> just telling them, hey, here's your program, here's what we're doing it. But it could have been a one-minute conversation, talk spoke in the camera. Yeah, yeah you, you've certainly missed tonality in uh, written text. Yeah. Like, there's only so, you know what you are limited by is the amount of emojis that you can place within a <laughs> sentence. Yeah, before it becomes a no. <laughs> Do you know what I hate? When yeah. someone says, no offence, but, and then they write an offensive thing, and it's yeah. like, that doesn't excuse you <laughs> from the yeah. offence that you've just so caused. Yeah. That's a very strange No offence, but, I'm about to sentences like, whenever you say the word but, it completely nullifies anything you said prior to that word but. So I'm saying, you know what, just cut out the bullshit, just get straight to the point and say, you're a fucking idiot. But <laughs> I'm going to find a better way to communicate that with people um, because there must be. There must be a, a way to 
be able to communicate more effectively without having to rely on the word but, because the word but immediately, subconsciously people are like, okay, so whatever you just said to me prior to that word but is complete bullshit, and you want to have, and this is what you really care about. You want to have, want to have a dig at me. There's got to be a better way to soften that blow. Mm. The kiss approach. Yeah, it's that sandwich technique, right? Yeah, yeah. The shit sandwich, yeah, the shit sandwich. <laughs> but people see right through that as well. They see right through that. <laughs> that is true, but... People are too smart. Mm. <laughs> they, they, oh, yeah. I've been caught out way too many times in that instance where it's like... Oh, my, I, sometimes I just went straight for the blunt, hey, you need to do the following. I actually yeah. had a, a very frank conversation with a client yesterday because I'd said to his partner, uh, you know, he's not genetically gifted to be an exceptionally good bodybuilder. And he just said to me yesterday on the consult, he said, hey, dude, like when you said that to my partner, what did you mean by you're not genetically gifted to be a good bodybuilder? And, um, and I explained like where I was coming from. And he was like, thank you for having the frank conversation because I've asked people in the past and they go, no, nah, man, you're good because everyone's afraid of that. Oh, fuck. I'm about, to, I'm about to let this person know that perhaps they shouldn't pour their entire life into it. Just pour the prep period into it, you yeah. know? But um, that's a difficult concept. Yeah, right? yeah, that's that's awkward. It's like <laughs> when someone has spinach in their teeth. Like, do I say something? You mean yeah. we should have told Eugene from the beginning <laughs> that he's had it in his teeth? <laughs> He's got his dildo on display in the back here still. Fuck. Actually, was it Alex? So, someone yeah. recently... Um, WBFF model put up an Instagram story of a table of shot glasses, and it was like party time and spin, spun them, and in the background was a fucking bag of cocaine. <laughs> I'm waiting for the dildo. I got excited for a sec there. Yeah, no. okay, well, well, actually, a, a girl that we once hired at Nutrition Warehouse back in the day. Sorry, what was that? It was just taking salt in a bag. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. Portioned it out. Yeah. <laughs> Maintaining our hydration status while yeah. partying. <laughs> uh, we, I had a, a girl that was once hired at Nutrition Warehouse, and she used to work at, um, uh, what's that lingerie store that didn't do more? Honey Burdette. No, no, Honey Burdette. And um, yes. one of um lingerie store, inverted commas, um, and yeah, one of our staff members had to go in and give her keys, and she is very, like, straight down the line, perfectly okay with her sexuality, all the rest of it, and she laughed her head off. When he when he walked in, he pretty much went up to her and then was looking behind her and was like, oh, my God, there's, there's fucking sex toys behind her. And he couldn't, he said she, he was just kind of just like this, caught in the moment, like, oh, I'm supposed to be giving this girl keys. She's working here, really? What the fuck's going on? And he turned his entire body and faced away from the dildos so he could have a <laughs> conversation with him because he couldn't concentrate. <laughs> That's so, nice. Some people can't handle it. Hey, just changing pace, um, talk to us about this Gambaru method for those of you that aren't familiar. Right. Um, well, first, like, people ask a, a bit about the name, the word, Gambaru. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly. It might be Gambaru. It's a Japanese word. And it is... Um, an embodiment of a lot of like what we've spoken about where the term Gambaru in Japanese, it loosely translated means to, to always want to be presenting or doing not just your best, but being more than your best, like trying to improve, trying to always just find a better answer, a better way, um, and improve through life. So as a, as a whole like mindset mentality, that's what's, you know, pushed me through my entire life thus far. Um, so on Gambaru Method itself, in terms of the website, like the reason why I chose that as like part of my, my brand identity, I guess, was everything that I've learned um, really comes down. And I think what most people go through as well, like most of the most important lessons come through them really making decisions of, hey, I want to be better than what I currently am. 
I mean, you can you can spin that however you want. It can be in the most simple terms of, of being body of being a bodybuilder. You have to physically grow into something better than what you currently are. There's no shortcut to it. You, you can't even just drug it and get there. Even with the drugs, you still have to physically grow into something else to become better than what you were. Um, but in more of the um, I guess esoteric sense, it is about this mentality of always pursuing improvement and growth and the lessons that you learn along the way as you strive for that growth. And um, yeah, for me, for like it, it encapsulates for myself a lot of the lessons I've learned with training, with programming, with exercise selection, biomechanics, and nutrition. And then it gives people this this resource to be able to um, to get access to those lessons um, and to um, to hopefully at some point be able to, to be trained more effectively. To be able to even if even if they're just like your your gen pop person, they just want to start try something different. They want to just get their feet wet, like we talked about before, that they need to just get that clickbaity kind of thing. Like there are workouts that they can follow straight away. That won't be perfect for them. They won't be ideal. They never could be because they're just the general workouts that are put out there that will appeal to 80% of people and that will get 80% of people, 80% of the results. But then it comes down to, um, I didn't want to just make a workout app. I wanted to make an education platform where people can then learn, if they cared for it, how to make it even better for themselves how to make it more in-depth, more detailed, how can I give them as much value as I can, um, and honestly just as, as cheaply as possible and uh, without practically giving it away for free. Um, but it's just a way for me to just, by extension, put out a lot more content that wouldn't really sit well anywhere else. Like you can't put a one-hour lecture onto YouTube. I mean, you can, but it's not going to be anywhere nearly as well-received or taken seriously as if people have to pay a nominal fee to be able to attend and listen to that lecture. There's always When you get that buy-in, people are going to be more attentive, they're going to retain it more, and that buy-in actually helps them learn more. That buy-in actually helps them train more effectively. They take it seriously. Like you wouldn't... Like for sure, if you had a billion dollars, if you had no financial issues... Um, I know that you wouldn't want to be giving away your services for free. Not because you want to hoard more money, but because, you know, for the consumer, they wouldn't take you seriously if they got it for free. Like for every... Hey? Sorry, Dean and I hosted a seminar recently and we charged my mum to come because, not because I want to charge my mum, but because I want her to learn and I knew that she wouldn't learn if she didn't put some money down. Sure. Like people will see like... um, it could be the most nominal thing in terms of a fee, but they will see it, they'll take it more seriously if they know that they've got to pay something for it. And then, of course, the higher the investment, the more investment you can get from the person buying into it um, to a certain point. Um, but, yeah, I just wanted to make sure that any content I was putting out there, it was being, like, for the right people at the right time, if they wanted to take their training more seriously, if they wanted to really just get more answers, if they wanted to learn more about the human body um, from a training lens, then... Um, they can get their feet wet on YouTube. They can get their feet wet on Instagram. They can gain a lot of information from Instagram and, and Facebook and YouTube from what I put out there already. But if they really want to um, understand it on an even deeper level or get even more, there's um, there's the app and the website for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where do you think people are going uh, wrong or where do you think people need to take their thoughts in regards to conceptualizing how to write a program? Um, it's bringing it back to its most, most, most basic definition of the said principle, like specific adaptation to an imposed demand. So they really need to have a good hard look at this and say, what is the adaptation I want to elicit? I want to build muscles because I'm a bodybuilder. That could be the specific adaptation. So, okay, you want to do that. What is the best, the absolute best imposed demand? Not from an emotional bias, but from a logical bias. And saying, okay, you want to grow your legs. So what do we need to do? We need to stimulate mechanical tension in your legs as much as possible. We need to make sure every single inch 
that you move through range of motion, you are stimulating mechanical tension. We don't want any wasted effort. For every ounce of energy that you expend, I want to make sure it's going towards building muscle and it's not just accruing unnecessary wear and tear on your tendons, your connective structures, or it's not creating any unnecessary neural fatigue. So that's where, when you have that completely logical, hard-nosed conversation, say what is the adaptation and what's the best imposed demand, that's where you can start writing effective programs. Because that's where you start to realize that, hey, a lot of the exercises that are probably done in a lot of programs, a lot of the rep schemes, a lot of the programming variables that we get so enticed by because they sound sexy on paper, they're completely irrelevant because they're not useful for the exact logical emotion, um, the exact logical adaptation we're trying to elicit. And that's part of why, like, one of my crusades at the moment is getting people to understand that fact around the, um, the inefficiencies that are there from from um, from barbell lifts, from using a barbell. Um, barbells aren't bad, barbells aren't wrong. Barbells are going to be the most commonly accessible tool for most people. So when it's available, fuck yeah, use it. If that's all you have, use it for sure. It's going to be better than most. Um, but if you have the options of choosing between, say, a barbell back squat or a leg press, and you're a bodybuilder who cares about building legs, then it shouldn't even be a question of which is the better option. It should be straight away, okay, the imposed demand that I want is as much mechanical tension on my legs through as much of a contractor range as possible, it's going to be the leg press because it's going to preserve fatigue and any effort I put into it is going to go to my legs. That's going to grow muscle. I don't care how emotionally charged I am around back squatting. I don't care how, how hard I get or how wet I get looking at a bar on someone's back. I care about my legs more. And that's a conversation that a lot of coaches in there have, have with their clients. That's a, lot of, that's, a, that's a conversation a lot of clients in there have, have, them, have with themselves because they are so emotionally biased and they're making all their decisions based on emotions, not logic. They're not really using their brains when it comes down to getting the results. And that's why I love what you guys do, where you're very, very pragmatic. You're very, very focused saying, look, we're very logical with how we're going to use all the scientific principles to get you the results. And then, of course, we have to factor in the personalization, because you know what? If a person just hates leg presses, they've got such a strong bias, okay, you know what? You can squat. You can squat. But that's where... At least you understand the trade-off to giving that person squats, and then you can have the conversation of how many weeks can I let this person squat before giving them another variation? How should I be um, pushing them in terms of tissue capacity? How should I push them from a neural perspective? How should I make sure I'm buffering all their recovery if I'm giving them squats over leg press and they want big legs? It all comes all the way back to the logic, the logic reasoning behind leg press versus squat. And then if the person chooses squats, you can program effectively from there. Yeah, I have a, a client, um, Greg, who's a big Eugene Teo fan. And one, uh, I don't know if it was an Insta story or a post that you did and you were talking about bodybuilders do not need to squat bench dead. You can, but it's not necessary. And hmm. he previously um, was a power lifter and then he moved over to hypertrophy and that's when I started programming for him. Um, and he still had goals around squat bench dead, so I was kind of doing this hybrid powerlifting mm. hypertrophy program. And we kind of stuck with that, and then eventually his focus moved away from powerlifting and just to hypertrophy. Um, but he hadn't really considered the fact that he didn't need to do these things anymore until yeah. it was really said to him, because we as coaches have this assumption that, people think about this shit. <laughs> they, they don't just like fall into something and continue doing it because that's what they did before. Um, and he, he really needed 
yeah, he, he really needed to have that conversation to feel comfortable to move away from those movements because powerlifters are big and they do those movements, therefore. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't necessarily work like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think, man, people in bodybuilding get lost in the specificity, mm-hmm. weirdly, because it's actually like a hyper-specific sport, in inverted commas, <laughs> um, in that, you know, you're, you're trying to literally drive up hypertrophy in very particular places on your physique. And therefore, it gives you the opportunity to do that with, with um, exercise selection. But like, whereas powerlifting, for example, the, high, the specificity there is you have to do squat bench dead. So you're forced into specificity. So people do it and they get better at it. Whereas in bodybuilding, it's almost like people forget that they have the opportunity to go as hyper-specific as they want. And instead, they get lost in the weeds, like you said, saying, oh, squats make you get big. Because Tom Platts did X amount of squats, you know, and I, I watched him do it. And he has massive legs. The Brett Contreras study showed that this exercise, yeah. Yeah, you know. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that's it. I really like that sort of uh, thought process around that specificity concept and understanding what demand and the principles you're actually trying to achieve. Mm. Mm. Do you think that there's any, um, along those lines, any particular myth you'd like to bust or any question that always gets asked around this topic? Around programming? Mm. Yeah, like it, it really does come down to the fact that there are no essential exercises. If If we're looking at this more from a... Building strength, building muscle, not powerlifting, even though I said building strength. Like if you want to get somebody, if you want to get um, your average saddlebag, Sally, stronger, if you want to build more muscle and improve their strength of their body, there are no exercises that you have to do. There's no thing you have to do, no matter how sexy you might look on Instagram, no matter what such and such influencers putting out there, no matter how compelling an argument they might make for it, there is no essential movements. There's only going to be ideal movements for Saddlebag Sally. And it comes down to the skill of the Christian to determine, okay, based on your personality, based on your structure, based on your strength, based on your mobility or whatever, I'm going to self-select these exercises for you. And um, unfortunately, the myth that people is perpetuated by, um, by very popular people with very, very, who are very charismatic and very easily, like they can put out a very compelling story, is that you should be doing these movements because these are better the back squat, the deadlift, these are functional exercises. You should be doing that. And you shouldn't be doing a Romanian deadlift because it's not functional or you shouldn't be doing a leg press or whatever it might be. It's like, no, these can be the absolute best movements for a person. Um, it really just comes down to like true personal training is taking in the personal, the person's current paradigm and structuring everything around that. Not forcing down your powerlifting bias onto them and saying, no, I work with all these powerlifters and they get great results, they get stronger, so it must work on Gen Pop. Of course it'll fucking work, but is it the best thing? No, it's probably not. And you forcing it down their throat saying everybody should be doing this and teaching your power things to those people, it's going to create a lot more issues than it's going to solve. And it's not actually a very, very hard concept to get your head around in terms of like helping those people understand it. So if somebody's putting that out there, they should, I, I believe they owe it to themselves and to their audiences to be putting out a very clear message and saying, hey, look, this is what I do because I love powerlifting. And this is what you can do if you love powerlifting exercises or you love Olympic lifting, whatever it might be. But if your goal is purely just size and strength, these movements may not be the best thing for you. Mm-hmm. But people are fucking terrified of saying that. They're yeah. terrified of saying that what they're doing may not be the best because that's what they identify as. It's like, well, it's not a big deal. People actually respect you more if you can say that, hey, this is how I bench press because I love it and my powerlifters love it. But for you, it's probably going to be fucking atrocious and you're better off doing a cable exercise instead. Even though you may see it as less functional or less hardcore, it's the best thing for you. And people will respect you more for saying that because you're actually giving them personal information. But it's actually going to help them. 
Yeah, I mean, if someone's just a powerlifting coach or insert sport here coach, when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So exactly. I can see why they're, you know, so which is why I think people need to reach out to coaches that have a lot of tools in their belts and they know which one is appropriate. Exactly, exactly right. Like, like I really do. Um, like I would say, like most of the um, the best, like even look at a guy like Charles Poliquin, best coaches out there. He he coaches so many different sports. He's got so many different backgrounds in martial arts, in Olympic weightlifting, in pure bodybuilding, in gymnastics and acrobatics. He pulls from so many different modalities to create a lot of theories that he creates. Um, a lot of the, again, I'm not really sure how true this is, but a lot of the Chinese weightlifters, um, this might be, they might just be putting it on for social media more than actually doing it. Um, but they do use a lot of bodybuilding techniques. They use a lot of gymnastic techniques. They use a lot of acrobatic techniques, a lot of calisthenics works to complement their Olympic weightlifting because they understand how beneficial it is um, to have, from a coaching perspective, so many more tools to play with. Mm-hmm. Because then you choose for your athlete, aha, uh-huh, based on you, you're, it's going to be best to give you this specific drill that actually came from calisthenics despite you being an Olympic weightlifter. Like those are the best coaches that you want to go to. They're the people you want to learn from because they they don't have any bias. They're not biased to being Olympic weightlifting only, despite being Olympic weightlifter. Mm. Okay? You know, this is um, this is truly like a black belt mentality, not a white belt. Like white belt, you're going to learn whatever you can. But when you become like in actual martial arts, when you um, get to that black black belt, it's not just that you've mastered your sport. It's that you've mastered being able to integrate other sports into it as well other martial arts. Like if you look, and you can be a black belt in anything. You can be like a black belt in, in cooking. That's Heston Blumenthal. Okay, that's someone who's pulling from everything from, from science, from molecular gastronomy to create something so unique. Like he's a great chef. He's a great cook. Awesome. But what makes him go from a brown belt to a, to a black belt is his innovation and integration from other modalities. And that's what truly sets people apart. That's what will truly set people apart if they can get over that ego of thinking of oh, what they're doing is best. Mm. that's the difference between an armchair coach who sits there without much experience and, and real world practice and somebody who's really in the trenches mm. for sure yeah for on sure. this note let me try and figure out his name i read a book recently called conscious coaching and it talks about um well a lot of lots of things actually um and one thing that he drove home is that we're not coaching athletes we're coaching the whole human their fears their goals their anxieties their needs their personalities um and he talks through all these different client archetypes um you know there's the alpha who never wants to do anything that he's not perfect at in front of a group of people so if you're to ask him to do a backflip he's going to get mad at you and storm out but what you should do is give him a week's notice, practice it with him privately, and then ask them to do it together as a group. And so for any coaches, that was just like a pretty terrible example. But for any coaches out there looking to have more tools under their belt, this is uh, dealing with athletes from psychological perspectives. It's called Conscious Co- Coaching by Brett Bartholomew. Brett Bartholomew. Cool. I will look into that. I need more books to read. I love anything that's approaching it from a psychological perspective. Because I think... Um, we're very good from our crop and from our years of study at understanding, say, biomechanics or nutritional sciences, and we're always going to be able to learn more. But for the most part, you've probably tapped out a lot of that in terms of like how you go about helping people. The thing that's going to get you to help more people is not if you understand molecular biology to an, to an nth degree at this point in time. It's going to be, can you actually understand a little bit about this? 
psychology behind how to relate to different, how to screen different clients and how to know, okay, this person needs this kind of approach to be able to nurture them more. This person, it will work terribly for, so I've got to use this approach instead. That's what people are lacking because it's sort of seen as like this pseudoscience. It's seen as very fluffy and esoteric compared to the hard science of chemistry, biology, biomechanics, and moment arms and talk. Um, but I think it's just as relevant, if not more. Yeah. Well, none of that matters if you don't know how to get through to the person. Well, I was going to say, I think that's the disconnect between the intellectual who's just trying to learn for the betterment of themselves and a coach. Because mm-hmm. like becoming a coach is essentially basic. Like There's the theoretical component where you have to learn the background information from start to finish so that you can then educate in simple terms to people that haven't done the theoretical. There's the application that's absolutely necessary in order for you to become better at your craft. And then there's once you know enough to make an impact, now it's like, how do you use other techniques to maximize implementation and uh, compliance? Because that's mm. where we go wrong massively in our industry with nutrition. Mm-hmm. Like, you only have to know a certain amount of things. Like, we could just say you eat calories, protein, do that every day, you get the result. But why the fuck doesn't it work? <laughs> you know? It doesn't work because most people haven't nailed that third part. How do we manipulate or how do we manage the individual within their entire ecosystem so mm. that they can then implement the principles that you've taught them to their own protocol, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. But I would agree that people do think that it's like fluffy and unimportant and, and they don't really learn it. Um, but I would encourage everyone to do so. For sure. For sure. Like it's what's helped me the most in, in terms of how I work with clients, but it's how I work with my business. The second I started giving that more credence, more appreciation, everything started growing more because everything that we do is people centric. Like, we're working with real human beings, so the better you can communicate with them, they're probably going to become better clients. They're probably going to become raving fans of what you do. They're probably going to want to support what you do. Even after they've left you as a client, they're still going to leave on good terms. Mm-hmm. And they're all positive things that you want. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do you do much one-on-one stuff now? Um, not really, not really. Like, I do have a few clients who I work with online, um, but even then, it's it's a very small handful um, because I know that I can't keep up with it. I can't keep up with everything else I'm trying to do. And it's been a very bitter pill to swallow um, because of how much like, I love working with people in a one-on-one client setting, like in, in the gym or online or whatever it is. But I know that the hours I'm going to spend investing on that, on that one person, I could have helped thousands. Right. And I could help thousands more than I helped that one person for the most part. Um, so... As soon as I started making that transition, it's it's just it's too hard to be able to take that on um, as as clients because I just can't make I can't afford to make that opportunity cost too often um, because of what I what I really see um, a lot of what I do with like Gambover growing into every time that I spend every hour that I spend doing that kind of work um, is taking away from my ability to impact other people. Yeah, and they are draining. Some people can be. They can also be uplifting, for sure. <laughs> depends. <laughs> depends. Um, now, Dean and I have some funsy questions for you. Yes. Oh, starting with, so the Flex Success podcast, our tagline is how to be less shit. Right. And we've spoken about quite a few things today, so pull from any part you wish. What would be some tips for people on how to be less shit? How to be less shit. The number one thing is, well, um, one an important thing that springs to mind is get comfortable with having uncomfortable conversations, whatever that means for you. Whether it's uncomfortable conversation with your employer, with your clients, is it with uh, is it with yourself? And really understanding, like we can talk about like squats and leg press. 
it's uncomfortable to come up and realize yourself, fuck, I've spent my entire training career focusing on the back squat when it is completely misaligned with my true goal and my true mission with grow muscle mass. It's a weird mission to have, but fair enough. <laughs> we will do kind of weird things. My life mission, have that make people want to throw up in their mouths when they see them. Yes. But yeah, um, like that's a hard conversation to have yourself to, to really come to terms with the fact that, yeah, what I've done for so long has been honestly less than ideal. It's been incorrect and I would be better served doing a leg press instead. Um, it's a hard conversation to have, but at the end of that can come a lot of growth and a reframing that can help you with your business or your clients or whatever else it may be. Um, it could be having hard conversations with your clients where like, yeah, you'd be frank with them and say, look, you know what? You don't have the genetics to be a good bodybuilder. So you can still bodybuild, but understand that you're going to look like absolute shit. So fair. It could also be about having, you know, your everyday, um, it could be, um, a very, very busy, a busy mother. Okay. She's taking care of three kids and who wants to drop those last few kilos of, of fat. Okay. The last five kilos and I'm going to be, and then I'm going to be happy. The hard conversation is telling that person, um, this actually, like it's possible for you to do that, to drop those five kilos. You can actually make a big result probably by following some better lifestyle principles, but really ask yourself, is this actually going to be a good thing for your family? <laughs> is this actually realistic for you when you think about the fact that you can't hit your macros um, or you find it hard to get to the gym on time or you find it hard to juggle with things because you're trying to feed your three fucking kids? I think that's a, that's a fair little thing to make. Like we can't have it all, all the time. You can definitely get the results. We can definitely spend you know, a dedicated few months and just nail it, but you'll probably be neglecting your kids a little bit. You'll probably be neglecting your family a little bit. You can't have it all, all the time. That's a bit of pill to swallow. That's a hard conversation because everything that's out there in social media and the world saying, you can have it all. You can have the body. You can have a baby yesterday and be shredded in two days' time. You can, you can just look like this. It's a whole, all the highlights real. Um, so it's so hard to have the conversation to tell people that, you know what? We can't all have it all. Like, I'm never going to be an incredible basketball player. I'm never going to probably be an incredible um, athlete with my martial arts practice because I don't devote enough time to it, but I'm okay with that. So I sit there and say, you know what, Eugene, it sucks. You're never going to probably be incredible, incredible at what you do with um, martial arts, but that's fine. I'm happy with settling with my improvements that I make each day. I'm happy with enjoying given the amount of investment I make in it, and that's fine. Um, but yeah, how to be less shit is understand that you probably are going to be shit at some things. You can't be great at everything all the time, but it comes down to having those hard conversations and, and then it helps you realize saying, what do I really care about? What do I really want? Do I want a happy family? Do I want thriving children? Or do I want a six pack of abs? Yeah. Probably six pack abs. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> just get a lipo. <laughs> just get a lipo. Just the fat freeze, freeze it away, kill it. It'll also make you happy. <laughs> well, apparently. Yeah. To quote yeah. our life after dieting book, you can have it all, you just can't have it all at once. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly right. I love that sentiment. I love that sentiment. Because the industry's lied to you. It's all that, that you can have it all, all the time. Mm. On your highlight reel of Instagram, perhaps. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Next segment for us is uh, something worth sharing. It can be anything that you think is of value to the listeners. It can even be your app. It can be your app. Of course it can. I mean, it's kind of valuable. Plug, isn't that? Isn't that I had no idea. I had no idea this was coming. I, just, I didn't even have anything prepared. Oh, I, look at this. I mean, if you're on YouTube right now, you can see I've, there's, there's, a, there's a nice, oh, look at this. There's this app. And, oh, that's 
be cool, isn't it? It sounds expensive. It sounds pretty expensive though. Like it costs. Looks like it looks pretty pretty high end in here. Like maybe I can't afford this. What's that? It's only nine ninety five a month, and you can cancel any time. Great. <laughs> and the seven day free trial. <laughs> I, I didn't even know about that. My God. And the set of knives. Knives. <laughs> so, and there are lives. He do, he does live stuff on there. This is pretty cool. This is pretty cool. I'll I'll take ten, please. I don't know, I'll do it the other time. I'll take 10 anyway. Just sign me up. Sign me up. Um, but good question, apart from the, apart from the cheap plug. <laughs> what would I want to share with people? Um, it's not kind of Because there are, I mean, there is so much that I share, like not, not to make it sound like a plug, but there is so much that I do share on a daily basis that when I get asked again, like, hey, what is another thing that you would share? Like, hmm. What can I share now that I'm currently not already sharing um, through all my socials, through my app, or through whatever else it may be? Um, look, a quote maybe, like, like you mentioned. Um, the quote that's really resonated with me the most, it really comes from Bruce Lee, is the um, absorb what is useful, reject what is useless, add what is uniquely your own. Like take that mentality into every realm, because like, you can learn from every single person out there. Every single person... Um, every single interaction you have is an opportunity for you to gain some useful knowledge, even if that useful knowledge is that you never want to speak to that person ever again. That's useful. That is fantastic. That is a blessing. That is a great thing um, that people need to um, just keep at the forefront of their mind. Like that's what's, what's, that was when I first launched my website back in 2011. That was the first quote I had in the tagline of my website because that's something that's resonated with me from day one is um, – there are so many opportunities to be able to learn and to better yourself, even if it comes at the expense of you learning that of what you don't like. Learning about the non-negotiables and things that you don't like in life are just as important about all the important facts that you'll learn in life over time as well, and things that you do like. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've learned that Dean and Lee know all the time then. Um, is that a valuable letter? <laughs> <laughs> that all changes. Uh, now, it's your last 24 hours on Earth. How do you spend it? Okay, first of all, the context is why, why is it my life? Is it because I've got like terminal disease? Am I dying? Yeah. Or, no, 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 you're, you're dying. You're dying, but you're, you as you are now. You're healthy. You have the opportunity yeah. to do whatever you want. Sure. So the world will still exist after I'm gone. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, cause if the world is exploding, then fuck, I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't really matter at that point. But it would, hmm. honestly, it would be doing exactly what I'm doing right now. It would like, Maybe not hanging out with you guys because you guys smell funny. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It would be, in a way, doing what I'm doing right now. It would be showing up, connecting with as many people as I can, creating some content that I know will will last beyond me as much as I can. I'd be sending out an email. It would be um, creating as many connections as I can. And that would be, of, of course, it, within that there would be my family. There would be friends. I would say, fuck Corona. I'm going to hug everybody. I'm going to, to rub my face on every single orifice available. I'm just going to get up in there. Um, there's definitely going to be that. But in terms of like what I would actually do, it'd be, it'd be what I'm currently doing. It would be trying to find as many opportunities as I can to create these connections and, um, and, and help people. Um, and that's part of like why I, just, I, I really am enjoying a lot of 24-7 life at the moment because it is how I would live every single day. That's beautiful. In the corner of the camera, I can see a guitar. Would you also wish to play some guitar? (laughs) I don't know. You put me on the spot like this. (laughs) 
What would you like to hear? Mary had a little lamb. <laughs> well. Depends <laughs> version you want. If you want the original lullaby school kid version, I can't give you that. I can give you Stevie Ray Vaughan's version. All right, I'll take it. Oh. There's nothing that you can't ask me. And so this is a the whole podcast slash concert. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. When in Rome, right? When in Rome, be accountable. That was the shareable lesson. Eat, eat the hand because it's tasty. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, so true. Um, we've got two more questions, right? Last one is uh, anything about yourself that people don't know about that may be surprised about? A habit, a hobby, an interest, a sexual preference? No, fuck. Again, like, I was trying to think, what do people not know? I'm quite transparent <laughs> about a lot of what I do. Um, what do people not know about me? Um, they probably don't see a lot of the nerves and a lot of like the, um, um, yeah, the, ex- I mean, they see the excitement, of course, but they don't see a lot of the nerves that go into a lot of what, what I do with a lot of the events, a lot of the live stuff. Um, like even before a podcast like this, I get nervous still because I think to myself, I, I want to make sure that I'm doing my absolute best to like, it is a really big honor for me to be asked to be a guest on interviews. Like, no matter how big or small, whatever the fuck, I didn't care about that. Like, if, you, if somebody, if one person cares to ask me a question or to have you in an interview, I want to make sure I'm giving my absolute best performance every single time. So I do get nervous about that kind of stuff. Um, I think with a lot of, I guess, the persona that people see on social media, they think, oh, you're always so happy and confident. Yes, I am happy. Yes, I am confident. But that doesn't come without nerves. It doesn't come without a little bit of anxiety. I'm thinking, oh, am I going to nail this? I'm a little bit worried about this. Like, before the last two live streams I've been doing on the app, um, like I've had my video guy Kevin, who's been helping me out, and um, he helps out with setup for sure. But a lot of it is just the comfort, the emotional support, saying how I've got a guy here who I'm familiar with. I know that um, even if all explodes, at least I'm not doing it alone. At least I'm here. I've got, I've got that comfort, um, that safety, and it makes a huge difference having someone there um, just to help call that. Like he's not saying anything, he's not doing anything in particular, but just that presence. Because yeah, this stuff does get nerve wracking. Mm, shows you care. Yeah, that's monstrous. It's so true, too. No one sees the internal conversations. Mm. Yeah. Mm. For sure. Right. Final question. Shitty choices. This is a fame. Oh, it's not famous. Oh, we're making it famous. It's a would-you-rather game. So any oh. card come out of the box. We've got to check it hasn't been asked before. Uh, uh, it's not a good question, though. It's a, it's a rubbish question for an Asian because it was asking whether or not you should... Um, Be hairy or bald. Hairy or bald all over. And we all know... Asian or bald. Yeah. Uh, all right. Ooh, nah. This one. All right. Would you rather all plants scream when you touch them in any way <laughs> or animals beg for their lives before they are killed? Oh, that's brutal. Am I killing these animals? Mm, 
pretty pretty. No, fun. but you know that all the animals that you're eating have begged for their lives and yes, thing. I'm going to interject and say you have to have killed them because it's saying if you touch the plant, the plant screams at you. And therefore, if the animal, you have to be also present at the animal if it's going to beg okay. for mercy. Okay. All right. So every animal that that you're eating, you've been around for their death and heard them scream and beg for their life. I like that one. That one. That one. That one hurts. Yeah, I'd go with plants because I could, I could happily not touch plants again. I reckon, or I could deal with their screams. Like I, I, it'd be a fucking murder scene walking through the park on grass. Like each one has grass. It'd be a fucking nightmare just to cough in your. Oh my god! What are you doing? I'm being crushed. But it's okay because you know they're not dying, and you know most of all that even if they did die, I'm not going to eat them. So it's all good. So I, I could live with that. Okay. Yeah, you would run, right? <laughs> run through grass. Because it'd go from like. Like a really slow, extended pain scream to just like, ah, like almost like a laugh. It could be comical. <laughs> if somebody gifted you with like a pot plant, would you accept it? Yeah, I wouldn't touch it. I accept it. I reckon I'd still poke it. Okay, I can hold the pl- I can hold the pot. It's true. Can't can it from afar. I can just like spray water on it. It's all good. I'm not touching it. I'm really disappointed we didn't get some gross sexual one. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of like really freaky cards in this man. Would you rather your dad walk in on you while having sex with your dog or your dog walk in on you while having sex with your dad? Dog. Dog walking in. <laughs> oh, really? Don't do bestiality, come on. But a little but bit of... Do dad. I'm sure that's okay, right? In some countries or something like that. Well, actually, when we were in... Uh, no, was it France? I don't think so. When we were in France, man, we walked into an adult store. And uh, there was definitely bestiality available there for purchase. There was DVDs of, like, oh, dogs. Like, sure. I, I bought a collie doing a chick. But what we found out was is it's not, not illegal so long as the animal is doing the penetrating. Mm. So, so, okay, that's where I draw the line. You asked me before about the different cultures or the different countries. I would draw the line at bestiality or probably incest as well. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but, yeah. Why is incest wrong? Are we talking from a scientific perspective or from a... Moral perspective. <laughs> and the reason I'm asking you this... No, no, ch- no children will be bad. <laughs> no, I'm asking you this because this is a question that came up in this course that I'm doing right now. And they're explaining something called moral dumbfounding. And it's when you feel something is morally incorrect, but you can't actually tell, say why. It's just because you feel disgusted by it. But, like, disgust and wrong are, like, two different things. Mm. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you have to give some scenarios, right? Like, if a brother and sister are having sex, but, you know, she takes the pill and he wears a condom and they're really safe about it and they're both consenting, like, we can't really explain why that's wrong. We just feel gross about it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's it, right? No, Everyone's kind of like, I don't know why I can't say that that's not wrong and why it's not right. I just know. I'm not sure. For the record, not interested in having sex with my brother. Just saying, can't explain why it's wrong. <laughs> hey, Michael Rodder, how you doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, moral dumbfounding. Was that what it was called? Yeah, yeah. Mm. Moral dumbfounding. It feels wrong, but you can't explain why. Yeah. Yeah. So what's the opposite? Right. It feels right, but you can't explain why as well. I wonder what that one's called. <laughs> Having sex with your brother? No, when it feels right, but you can't explain why it feels good. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Ooh, I know. yeah. Happiness dumbfounding. Sure. <laughs> yeah, happy dumbfounding. <laughs> Joy dumbfounding, yeah. Perhaps. Uh, well, uh, Mr. Eugene, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank, Thank you. you.
Thank you. I really do appreciate the opportunity to come on here. That you guys want to chat with me and talk about bestiality and, um, and cannibalism. I think it's a really useful podcast. I think it'll help a lot of people. I think it change a lot of lives. I agree. It's all beautiful. Now, if someone wanted to check out uh, Genbaru or Eugene, um, where would they find you? I would tell them to just find me on Instagram, Coach Eugene Tio. Um, as much as I do like doing the cheeky plugs, I don't like to shove things down people's throats until they're ready for it. So I'd rather them find me at my most consumable, readily accessible access point, which would be Instagram. And then from there, if they decide they like what I do, they want to learn more, they'll be able to find more pretty easily from there. Cool. Sounds wonderful. Would you like to take this podcast out in song? No. <laughs> verbal song. I mean, you can play us a goodbye song on the guitar, but that's fine. You can reject that. You got one song out of me. You got one song. <laughs> I got greedy. Who's getting greedy? All right. Well, thank you very much, and hopefully we'll chat soon. Thank you very much, guys.